So it's good. It's good to be amongst that aroma tonight. And just as we were worshiping, I just want to bring a, a quick word of encouragement, hopefully, um, from maybe, maybe it's the sea air doing this. I don't know. But Psalm 61 says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. Maybe it's because we're at the end of the earth here, pretty much. Uh, But I just wonder if that would be a helpful scripture just to have in your heart this weekend. Uh, Particularly for those of you who've come here who feel like your heart has grown faint. This This is a time for us together to be led to the rock that is higher than us. So Father, we pray. Would you do that this weekend? We know and we confess that only you can do it. So we're not here proclaiming to be able to do anything in and of ourselves. We don't claim any special skill or privilege, but simply we come before you as children and we say, lead us to that rock which is higher than us. Help us access, God, something that we've never accessed before, a deeper a deeper place, a deeper uh, part of your heart, something, something new, something ancient and something new. And Lord, give us the courage to be ourselves, the courage to open ourselves to each other and to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, uh, I've, I've got time here because I know I've got 20 minutes tonight. I'm going to reset the time after my prayer. Uh, so Amy and I, after leaving a church called St. Mary's in London, where actually John and Joe had just moved on before we got there, uh, we went and spent three and a half years in Southern California. And we learned a great deal of uh, things in that time. We'd just been married for a year at that point. And, and so we were learning about how to be married. We were learning about living in a new country. We had to learn a whole different language. You know, we had to learn that it was a, a cart and not a shopping trolley, that it was a stroller and not a buggy, it was a diaper, not a nappy, all these sorts of things that, uh, that you have to do when you're in kind of this cross-cultural situation. But one of the things we had to learn was what an earthquake feels like. And it's interesting because you actually think you know what an earthquake feels like, but if you've never been one and then you enter into one or, or rather one starts around you, you can actually take a moment just to realize what's happening. So one particular occasion, we were in a library in this church that we've both been employed at, and the room starts to shake and everybody else stands up and moves. They follow the drill. Maybe they'd read the, uh, the sheet or something, and, and we just sat down for a while. And then they said, guys, it's an earthquake. And, of course, we were told to come and brace in the door frames and wait until it passed by, which we did. And I have to say, the whole thing passed without incident. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was harmed. But it was interesting because it was something that had to be learned. It was something that took a while. It took a moment to discern what was really happening. And I had this in mind as I was reflecting on a podcast that I'd recently listened to in which a historian called Tom Holland, maybe some of you have heard of him, talks through his view on what's happening in the world at the moment. Now, Holland is a fascinating figure. He's an agnostic or or rather kind of an ambivalent Christian. I don't know how he'd describe himself, actually. He hasn't used those terms himself, so forgive me, Tom, if you somehow crept into the room. 
But his, his mother's a strong uh, Christian, grew up in an Anglican, she was Anglican and grew up in an Anglican church, and his father's an atheist. So I think he probably lives in that ambivalence to some degree himself. But he said in this podcast, and let me summarize the argument here, and this is a short history lesson. If you've still got some energy after the sticky toffee pudding, just stick with me. He says that Western society, that's the society that we inhabit, uh, has been based on Judeo-Christian assumptions for the last thousand years and a little bit more. And everything that we accept as normative, as true, as valuable, as meaningful, has been based upon Christian assumptions. So, for example, our politics. Now, whether you are uh, on the right or the left, you like the Telegraph or the Guardian or anywhere in between, your political assumptions have been shaped by Christian thinking. Your, our understanding of human identity, that would be a second area. We understand, don't we, that people are imbued with value and dignity because we're made in the image of God. Our, our, our culture understands that, that people are valuable and they're worth protecting. We also, historically speaking, have understood that identity is something gifted to us, given to us, not something that we construct in and of ourselves outside of any tradition or authority. Thirdly, our morality uh, we live with, we, we disagree on loads of things, and in our culture, historically, we have, of course we have, but we understand, don't we, that, uh, that we ought to protect the weak and the vulnerable and not simply discard those who need help. Now, that, that isn't something that existed in Roman culture, for example. That is a legacy of Christian, Judeo-Christian tradition. Fourthly, our view of justice. You know, it's, all of our laws have been found on, on the Bible, basically. The idea that everyone's equal in the sight of the law. That might, in, in the sight of the law, might shouldn't make right, but in fact you should be innocent until proven otherwise. Anyway, these are all just aspects of the culture that you and I, that's the water we've swum in, we assume it, we don't prove it, we just know it. But it has a background, and that's the point Holland's making it. It's come from somewhere, and that somewhere is effectively scripture. But we are in a moment of seismic, change. See what I did there? Earthquake, seismic, that was clever. We're living through an earthquake. Not that clever, but it was clever. We're witnessing a transition from a view of the world that has been shaped by Jewish and Christian visions of what is good and right and true to something else. And this earthquake has taken a moment to discern. It's like we're sitting in that library in Southern California and the room's shaking and we're beginning, I think, to feel it. And most of us are becoming awake to it. It's so powerful that most of us can now feel it. We're not just in a, an era of change. We're in a change of eras. And the evidence for that is all around us. A Christian vision of human identity, of morality and justice are being replaced piece by piece. You might say the big picture here is that God, the idea of God, at the heart of this story that holds our culture together is being dethroned. And that's been happening, I think, for a couple of hundred years at least, but certainly accelerated in s since the 1960s. And it's coming home to roost. Now, now the history lesson doesn't go on for the whole weekend, so don't worry. But if you caught that and if you kept up with that, maybe you feel that. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you are challenged by that. It's interesting because in our culture now, increasingly, a Christian vision of some of the things that we spoke about, morality, I spoke about morality, justice, identity, is actually seen now as an obstacle to progress rather than as the foundation 
for progress and what's good. So this earthquake has a series of massive consequences for us as a society. When a society loses its vision of God at the heart of God as the foundation, the space has to be filled with something. And the name for that something in the Bible would be idols. Now, Jonathan Sachs, who was formerly the chief rabbi, I think he died two years ago, perhaps. He said this, we make a mistake when we think of idols in terms of their physical appearance. Statues, figurines, icons. In that sense, they belong to ancient times. We have long outgrown. Instead, the right way to think of idols is in terms of what they represent. They symbolize power. That is what Ra was for the Egyptians, what Baal was for the Canaanites, what Chemosh was for the Moabites, what Zeus was for the Greeks, what missiles and bombs are for terrorists and rogue states today. We live in an age where idols are ideas and values that demand our allegiance. Now understand this, all idols are ultimately about power. The idols of our culture today are ideas which demand allegiance. So what you and I are seeing is that when you replace the worship of the triune God, who is love, all you are left with is competing claims for power. Competing claims for power and the cancellation of those who oppose. Now this is obviously an overstatement. I'm overstating this case. But there is a sense, isn't there, that often public discourse is reduced to competing claims for power. So... That's one of the consequences. Another consequence, and this is the last thing I'll say, by word of history lesson, and then we'll move on to the exciting stuff. Although this does actually excite me, I have to say. When we abandon a shared story, a shared sense of where we've been, and a shared sense of where we're going, the results of that are actually huge for us. And they're worked out every day, even though we don't think of them every day. And one of the ways that that's worked out is an increasing polarization an increasing division. Now, any of you who are on social media, you will have seen this. There is no cultural artifact, no cultural story that goes on without a significant division between seemingly polarized sides. And we're seeing this in the news, but we actually see this in individual lives. I think one of the reasons that there is so much anxiety in our culture today is that people no longer know the foundations on which they are standing. That is why there is so much anxiety. And if you're feeling profound anxiety, dare I suggest it might actually be you are intuiting that the foundations beneath you have been shaken. So we see it in the lives of individuals, but we see it in institutions. Many of our institutions are fragmenting. And we as individuals and we as institutions, or our institutions need renewal. But the gospel, of course, tells a better story. Not a story of ruin, a fragmentation of anxiety, but a story of renewal. We believe, don't we, it's in the book, that there is a God who made the heavens and the earth. He calls it good, and you and I, he he places us as humankind Bearing his image, made in his image and likeness, he places us atop this creation with this mandate, this role, this job description to steward all that is 
and to bring God's good order to it by speaking life over it, by living lives of beauty and justice in the midst of this world. And yes, we know that there is a fall. That is to say, something is profoundly wrong with that world that God made. Yes, it's good, and it never ceases to be fundamentally good because it's held in God who is good, and yet there's something that needs not just therapy, but radical salvation, rescue. And that's the story of the fall. But God has stepped in, in the person, ultimately in Jesus Christ, to redeem what was lost by taking upon himself the curse that sits within creation, bearing it in his own body on the cross and releasing, as he's ascended, into the church the Holy Spirit through which broken things and broken people, sinful people and sinful institutions can be made whole again. Here is the vision for renewal of individuals and the renewal of the whole creation. And it's in this better story, which is the gospel of Jesus. And God is, by the Holy Spirit, through the church and beyond the church, making all things new right here, right now. And whatever else you think you're doing this weekend, you've been enlisted into an army whose job it is to join with Jesus in the renewal of all things. What better story is there to live in than that story? This is the story that Christian devotion bequeathed. Oh, there's a word I haven't said in 12 years at least. Bequeathed. Just a nice word to say. Try it this evening. Bequeathed to the, to the world. This is the gift that, that, that God gave. And this is the foundation of Western culture. Behind it stands a unique vision of a God who is love, who is kind, who is just, who is true, who is gracious, who is merciful, who is righteous, who is holy. In a story like this and in a moment like this, maybe I'm not alone in praying the words of Psalm 11, verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This weekend, for our part, which we recognize in the context of all that's happening this weekend is a, is a small part, but for our part, Amy and I would like to offer you our answer to that question. When the foundations are shaken, when the earthquake is on, what can the righteous do? What can you and I do? What is our part as the church of Jesus Christ in these days when we are not just in an era of change, but in the change of eras? Well, I recently heard Oz Guinness comment on the shift that we're living through. He spoke of three possibilities for the world going forward. He said, in the West, we could see a replacement. We could see the, the Western culture. We could effectively say we don't need Christianity any longer to offer these ideas of what's good, of what's right, and what's true. We could find some other operating system. That's replacement. Second of all, he said, well, we could find that we'll choose ruin. Didn't sound particularly hopeful. Perhaps we'll adopt a pre-Christian perspective in which we don't need to care for the weak, for the poor, for the marginalized. Or thirdly, he said, might we see renewal? Perhaps after all, we will decide as the church, but beyond the church as our society, that we do need Christian teaching. Perhaps the West will discover who God really is. What if ENC... In all this shaking, the church is being prepared for a move of the Spirit of God. 
which will restore not only the foundations of the church, but the foundations of our society. What kind of church will we need to become in the years to come if, as the foundations of our culture continue to be shifted beyond recognition? Well, listen to this story. I'm going to close with this. Almost close with this. <laughs> Got four minutes. This is a story of a, a desert father who approached another monk asking him for wisdom and direction in his own discipleship. I love this. Abba Lot went to see Abba Joseph and said, Abba, as much as I am able, I practice a small rule, rule of life, a way, a way of following Jesus. A little fasting, some prayer and meditation. And I remain quiet as much as possible. I keep my thoughts, thoughts clean. What else should I do? Then the old man stood up and stretched out his hand towards heaven. And his fingers became like ten torches of flame. And he said, why not be turned into fire? Why not be turned into fire? It is our contention that that is what the church needs. To be changed into fire. To become a church on fire. When the foundations are shaken, what can the righteous do? Well, why not be changed to fire? A church that relentlessly pursues Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, a radical church, doubling down on the goodness of God. Do you know, the church doesn't need more programs. The church, the only thing that's, the only thing that's interesting, Evelyn Underhill said this, the only thing that's interesting about the church is God. That's the only thing that's interesting about the church. We ought to double down on the presence and the power of Jesus, the risen Jesus, and pursue him with all that we have. A courageous and fearless church, baptized in love, giving ourselves wholly to God, again and again and again, till kingdom come, or he takes us home. Whether or not we see replacement, ruin, or renewal, it's not certain whether or not we become this fearless church has much to do with God, but also something, I think, to do with us. We have a choice, and I do believe it is a stark choice that we make each day as the church of Jesus in this nation, in this generation. And poet Robert Frost said something about this, and I'll close with these words. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I want to bring that choice before you this evening. As you come into this weekend, but actually as you sit facing the rest of your life, however long that should be, some of you may have a long life ahead of you, others less time. We've all got less time than we used to have. But I want to bring that choice before you today. Are you willing to go the road less traveled with Jesus Christ for the sake of his glory and the world's good? As this foundation is shaken, will you become, will you offer your hands, your heart, your body, your life to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, that he might set you on fire, that he might use you in your generation in this time for his purposes.
This, I believe, we believe, is the church's only answer to the challenges we face within our culture. This time of shaking is not the time to shrink back, but to recklessly give ourselves away, as my cousin might say, in surrender to God for the sake of the world and to seek renewal for ourselves, for the church, and for our society as we do. Amen? Amen. Should we stand together? We're going to invite the presence of the Lord. So just as we, we're going to wait in quiet for a few moments, I think, and um, even before we play or, or, or sing, I, I'd just love to ask you a question, which is going to lead us into ministry. This is ministry. But you, and so um, if you'd like to, just as a sign of your openness to God, maybe ha- hold your hands out before you. Just whatever posture of, of body is most most displays openness to you just take that now and it's just a just a brief question just to ask Jesus and then we're just going to invite the presence of the Lord just to come I just wonder if you'd ask him Lord Jesus where is it that you are asking me to take the road less traveled by